Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that we would keep our feet from every evil path and that we would obey your word according to the way that Christ has delivered it to us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning we pick up our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So if you have a Bible there before you, and it's a church Bible, you may open it to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 2, page 296 of the church Bibles. 2 Samuel chapter 2, and we'll be carrying on our study of it today. Uh, it's hard for us to always remember where Samuel comes, uh, What is where is this place in Israelite history, and so you're going to get a little drill from me every Sunday morning uh, for a while now about where this falls in Israelite history. Uh, basically, if you look at the beginning of man, it starts with Adam and Eve. From Adam and Eve, you eventually get a man called Abraham. From Abraham, you eventually get the 12 tribes of Israel. So they're the great-grandsons of uh, Abraham. And from those, and those 12 tribes of Israel end up in Egypt. While they're in Egypt, they're oppressed by Pharaoh. Uh, they're put into slavery and they're brought out by a man called Moses out of the land of slavery, out of Egypt. And they wander in the desert for 50, 40 years until they're brought into the promised land, to the land known as Israel even today. Uh, they're brought into that promised land by a man called Joshua. And after Joshua, there's a series of judges and you can read about them in the book of Judges. And after the last judge uh, is Samuel, the, the prophet Samuel. And, uh, and so we pick up that in the book of 1 Samuel. You see Samuel being born, and he is the last judge of Israel. And then he is given the task of appointing the first king of Israel. First king of Israel is Saul. Uh, Saul ascends the throne. And then we understand that Saul, as you can read through the book of 1 Samuel, and I encouraged someone last week, they came up to me and said, where should I be reading in the Bible at the moment, Joel? Uh, I've read this and I've read that and I've read this. And I said, well, have you ever read 1 Samuel? said, no. I said, well, it would be really good context uh, for Sunday mornings if you read the book of 1 Samuel and see who Samuel is and then who the first king of Israel is, Saul, and why he uh, lost the throne to David. And so David is a person who starts to rise in Saul's court in 1 Samuel and then ascends the throne. And we saw his ascent to the throne when we picked up our study of, of 2 Samuel in chapter 2. We saw that he becomes king over the, the, the town of Hebron and the tribe of Judah. But last week we saw in 2 Samuel chapter 2 that there was a, another king ascends the throne of the rest of Israel. And that is a son of Saul. So Saul passes away in battle, the first king of Israel. But Ishbosheth is put on the throne by a man called Abner, who was a commander in the army of Saul. So Abner really is the one who made Ishbosheth king. Uh, we even see that in verse 8 of chapter 2. Verse 8 of chapter 2 it says, Meanwhile, Abner, Abner son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim. He made him king over Gilead, Asherah, and Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. So we have these two kings in Israel. One is king of Judah, one is king of Israel. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, is reigning all of Israel. And David, the new king, anointed by God, is in king over Judah. And that's where we pick up the narrative today. So what do we read about today as we look at this passage together? Well, we read about Ishbosheth and his army uh, coming under Abner to make war with David's 
army. So these two kings are going to have a battle between their two commanders. And so if you look with me at verse 12, we see the narrative pick up there. Chapter 2 of 2 Samuel, verse 12, it says, Abner, son of Ner, that's the commander of Ishbosheth's army, together with the men of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, left Mahanaim and went to Gibeon. Joab, son of Zariah, and David's men went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. One group sat down on one side of the pool and one group on the other side. So we see the two armies of the two kingdoms coming and meeting together. And it's really Abner picking a fight with Judah. Um, you may say, how do we know this? Well, you would know that if you knew where Gibeon was, uh, where they met together. Uh, previously, uh, Ishbosheth has been reigning in Mahanaim, which is over on the other side of the Jordan. And uh, David is reigning in, in Judah in the town of Hebron. This army of Ishbosheth has crossed the Jordan, come over, and they're about 40 kilometres just north of Hebron. So they're really coming over and picking a fight. It'd be like if a foreign army came to Penrith. I did a bit of Googling this week and worked out how far 40 kilometres is. Um, of course, it's not north, that's west, but I was trying to work out whether anyone know a landmark 40, 40 k's north of Sydney. We're probably more likely to know 40 k's west of Sydney, Penrith. So you think of an army of another kingdom, comes and camps out at Penrith, and they've come a long distance uh, to that area. Well, then the people of Sydney would be concerned about that army being there and would go out to meet them. They would send an opposing force, a defence force. So it's really Abner picking a fight with... Uh, with Joab, the commander of David's army. And so what do they do? They go out to meet with one another. And what happens? Well, we recognise that they start a battle. Uh, they start a battle. We see uh, that they come against one another. And then in verse 14, it says, Then Abner said to Joab, Let's have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. All right, let them do it, Joab said. So they stood up and were counted off, 12 men for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and 12 for David. Then each man grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into his opponent's side, and they fell down together. So that place in Gibeon was called Helkath Hazarim. This is not so much a battle at first, but a contest. Um, and this was something that, of course, happened in those days, uh, where representatives would come from particular armies, and they would fight in the middle. And one of the classic examples of this is one man versus one man back in 1 Samuel cast our minds back to 1 Samuel. How does David get notoriety in Saul's army? It's by being the representative of the kingdom of Israel against the kingdom of the Philistines with Goliath. David and Goliath, they come out as reps and they're meant to do battle and that will help decide which kingdom will serve the other kingdom. And so this is what's happening here in some respect, that there's 12, 12 coming together and they're fighting. And what happens? They all uh, die, it seems, that they all thrust their daggers into the others and they all fall on that day. And so what does the contest result in? Well, it doesn't really resolve things at all. Just like with David and Goliath, it didn't really resolve things either. They then ended up having a battle, and it's the same here in the book of 2 Samuel with this battle between Ishbosheth's army and David's. What do we read in verse 17? The battle that day was very fierce, and Abner and the men of Israel were defeated by David's men contest doesn't resolve anything. Instead, a battle erupts, and it is very fierce, and people are dying on both sides. And what happens to Abner? Well, we read in verse 18 and following that Abner flees, but he is pursued by one of Joab's brothers. Uh, Joab is the commander of David's army. We read in verse 18, the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Azahel. Now, Azahel was as fleet-footed as a wild gazelle. 
He chased Abner, that's the commander of uh, uh, Ishbosheth's army. He chased Abner, turning neither to the right nor to the left as he pursued him. Abner looked behind him and asked, Is that you, Azahel? It is, he answered. Then Abner said to him, Turn aside to the right or to the left. Take on one of the young men and strip him of his weapons. But Azahel would not stop chasing him. Here we see one of Joab's brothers chasing after Abner. He wants to get the prize. He wants to get Abner. If there's one person he kills that day, it wants to be, he wants it to be Abner. And so what does Abner do? Well, he continues to warn him. Verse 22, again Abner warned Azahel, stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? How could I look your brother Joab in the face? What does Azahel do? Well, we read verse 23. But Azahel refused to give up the pursuit. So Abner thrust the butt of his spear into Azahel's stomach. And the spear came out through his back. He fell there and died on the spot. And every man stopped when he came to the place where Azahel had fallen and died. Here we see one of the great terrible things of battle, uh, the death of Azahel uh, here with uh, Abner. But what ends up happening between these two armies? Well, we continue to read in verse 24. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner, and as the sun was setting, they came to the hill of Amar near Giah on the way to the wasteland of Gibeon. Then the men of Benjamin rallied behind Abner. They formed themselves into a group and took their stand on top of a hill. You see these two armies, one's pursuing the other. One consolidates itself on a hill as they're fleeing from the other. And what does Abner do? Well, he calls out to Joab, the other commander. Verse 26, Abner called out to Joab, Must the sword devour forever? Don't you realise that this will end in bitterness? How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their brothers? Abner is asking Joab to stop the battle. And what's he basing his argument upon? He's basing it upon the, the, the bitterness of death that's coming, the, the way the sword is devouring people. Uh, this is a horrible thing that's happening here today. But he also bases it upon the fact that they are brothers, that the people of Israel are all one. Yes, there's a tribe of Judah, there's, there's a tribe of Benjamin, but they're all connected. Uh, back to Abraham. And so he, he call, calls upon him as a brother to stop the fight. And what does Joab do? He says in verse 27, Joab answered, as surely as God lives, if you had not spoken, the men would have continued the pursuit of their brothers until morning. So Joab blew the trumpet and all the men came to a halt. They no longer pursued Israel, nor did they fight anymore. Joab hears the words of Abner and responds by stopping the battle. He acknowledges their brotherhood and stops the battle. And what is the result then for Abner? Well, he marches back to Mahanaim. We read in verse 29, all that night Abner and his men marched through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, continued through the whole Bithron and came to Mahanaim. Whereas what happens with Joab's army? Well, we read in verse 30, then Joab returned from pursuing Abner and assembled all his men. Besides Azahel, 19 of David's men were found missing, but David's men had killed 360 Benjamites who were with Abner. They took Azahel and buried him in his father's tomb at Bethlehem. Then Joab and his men marched all night and arrived at Hebron by daybreak. Here we see an account of the beginning of David's reign and what's going on. And we see something that's quite ugly. What do we see here? Well, we see civil war. We see civil war that's happening. Within a nation, there are rival parties and they're fighting with one another. And it is ugly to see. It's ugly to see people of the same nation warring against one another. Why is civil war so awful? Well, a nation is meant to be uniting to help one another. A nation is not meant to be divided and fighting one another. And particularly, almost, it seems like this contest between these people, it's almost like killing for sport. 
for entertainment, that Joab and Abner say these guys can stand up and we'll have a contest. It's an awful thing to see this happening within a nation, that there's civil war going on. And why is civil war so terrible in Israel? Why is it so horrible to read of what's happening here? It's horrible to read of any civil war, but why is it so horrible to read of what's happening here at this time in Israelites' history? Well, it's not just a mix of friends who've united together for a nation. These people are family. They're brothers. They're all connected to one another. How are they connected? Well, it goes back to Israel. Jacob is also named as Israel, and Isaac and Abraham. They're all children of Abraham, children of Isaac and children of Israel. And they knew this. We see this with Abner in the way that he appeals to Joab, that they are brothers, and the way that Joab responds by acknowledging that they are brothers. And so it's an awful thing as we see civil war, but basically a family war going on of family members killing family members. So what is the application for us today as we see something so ugly here in 2 Samuel chapter 2? Well, there's many applications which we could make. Uh, One would be that we should not fight with fellow Australians, that we should not be fighting with fellow Australians. Why? Well, we're supposed to live together in peace. The reason Australia exists is because people have united together to help one another, not hurt one another. And so we should heed the warning of what's going on here and the ugliness of it and recognise that we shouldn't be hurting one another. Because what ends up happening if we fight with one another? Ends up in bitterness and death. That's what Abner talks about in verse 26. He calls out to Job and says, Must the sword devour forever? Don't you realise that this will end in bitterness? How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their brothers? We've got to understand that if we fight with one another, it leads to bitterness. And if it escalates and escalates, it can end in death. If we start to form factions within a nation, it won't be long before people are starting to take up violence against one another. And before you know it, people are dying. Instead of helping one another, they're seriously hurting one another. And so how can we learn to live at peace with other Australians? What should be one of the great motivations for us? Well, it should be the brotherhood of mankind. It should be the brotherhood of mankind. How are we brothers and sisters with our fellow Australians that are here in this nation? Well, we're all related to one another. How? It goes back to Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. If we look at the book of Genesis, we see that we're all descended, as I said in my little history lesson at the beginning, we're all descended from Adam and Eve. The human race is a brotherhood. And so as we look at our fellow Australians, what should we be doing? We should be seeing them as brothers and sisters in Adam and Eve, and there we should try and keep the peace with them. We should try and keep peace with them. And as we start to think about it like that, as we start to think of all humans as family, then what does that also mean? What would be another application for us from this? Well, we should have peace with other nations. We should be at peace with other nations. We should not be trying to take what belongs to other nations and use it for our own gain. Instead, we should, we should be trying to help other nations and support other nations. Why? Because if we do not, what happens? Death and bitterness, as we saw with Abner. Death and bitterness comes. And it never, if we take up war against another nation, it's never one side that has casualties. Always there's casualties on both sides. You can't have a war without someone losing life on both sides. There's bitterness on both sides. There's death on both sides. And what is the answer? Well, as we considered how we should have peace with people in our own nation, was because of what? Because of the brotherhood of man. And it should be the same as we look at other nations. As we look at other races, 
we should understand that we are all related to them. And therefore, we should be living at peace with other nations and not fighting with them. We're all related to them. How? By Adam and Eve. And we, deep down, we know this. How do we know this? How do people show that they know that other humans are really family? Well, all you have to do is see an earthquake devastate another nation. And what happens? Our hearts grieve for those people that we see suffering. Our hearts know that they're family, that those other humans on the other side of the earth are not animals, they're human beings. They're brothers and sisters. The human race is peculiar. And we recognise that they are like us and that they are family. And so as we keep that in mind, then, of course, we will not want to fight with them because they are family. And so the Bible really has the end, the answer to end all racism. Christianity has the answer to end all racism, and it's rooted back there in Genesis, rooted back there in Genesis, the brotherhood of mankind. But what does a sinful heart like to do? It likes to dehumanise people. It likes to dehumanise them and forget the brotherhood that we share with them. And what does that lead to? It leads to war and terrible atrocities done by humans to fellow humans, by brothers to brothers. And what does that relate end in? It ends in bitterness and death, as we see Abner talk about in verse 26. But if we remember our brotherhood with other nations, then, of course, we will love those people. We'll be concerned for them and want to help them rather than war against them. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't differences between people, there aren't differences, and that we don't see race, that we don't see that there are other nations, just as families are different. One family is like this and another family is like that. And within a family, there's individuality within the family. One child is like this and another child is very much like that. There are differences. We're not all the same. But what do we do? We enjoy each family's culture. It's nice when Jill and I are invited over to another family's home and I get to sample the cooking of another home and the interactions that are there and the art that's on the wall and the photos that are up. I get to, it's a different from the Radford home, but I get to enjoy that. And even within our family, it's nice having different kids. And you go into one child's room and you see all the things that they like. And then you go into the other child's room and you see all the things that that person likes and very different. They're different, but we enjoy the differences. And it should be the same with other nations. Yes, they're different from us, but we should enjoy those differences as well and be thankful for them, that they are other family members of Adam and Eve's family, and we delight in those differences and even share in them. I'm very thankful for curry. I'm very thankful for dumplings and fajitas and for kofta. I really like those foods, and I'm thankful that other races have come up with them and I can share in them today. And I'm thankful for IKEA, and I'm thankful for Nintendo. I'm thankful for other nations and the way that we can share and benefit from those other nations because they're our brothers and sisters and we can benefit from them and enjoy them. It's not that we're eradicating race and differences. No, instead we see the differences and we draw near to them in love and benefit from those differences as well and delight in them. But what would be the ultimate application that we could make from 2 Samuel chapter 2? We can look at how we should have peace within our nation. We should have peace with other nations. But what should we look for? Well, the ultimate application would be 
the ending of civil war with God. All war is meant to point us back to the great war, the great war that we're engaged in, and that is our war with God. What has the human race done? The human race has picked a fight with God, just like Abner came over and picked a fight with Joab. The human race has picked a fight with God. How? By disobeying his laws and sinning against him. Rejecting him as king, we come and we pick a fight with him. And what does that mean? It means bitterness and death, just as all wars end in bitterness and death. Why? Because God in his justice will not allow sin to go unpunished. God in his justice will not allow sin to go unpunished. He will not allow us to rebel against him, to pick a fight with him and not do anything about it. Instead, what will he do? God will pursue us with greater determination than Azahel pursued Abner. Azahel was fleet-wooded, fleet-footed and chased Abner. God is even more fleet-footed than a gazelle. And he chases us down. He pursues us, turning not to the right nor to the left. He is one who pursues those who have rebelled against him. God has sounded the trumpet of war against mankind, and he is bringing the heavenly armies with him to fight against us as we have fought against him. And what is the result? God captures rebels, and he executes them and places them in hell's bitterness. And we read of this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul speaks about when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Very clear teaching from the Apostle Paul of to what the Lord Jesus will do on the last day. He will be revealed with his heavenly army with the powerful angels, and he will punish those who have sinned against God, and they will be shut out in the bitterness of hell. Unless what happens? Unless what happens? Unless we turn and call to God like Abner did to Joab. But how can we appeal to God when we've disowned him, when we've rebelled against him, when we've rejected him as king, when we've sinned against him? We can only appeal to him if he is family again for us, if he is family If God's our father, what does that mean? He will no longer pursue us. He will no longer pursue us with deadly intent for vengeance. Instead, he will lovingly embrace his children. But how is it possible to be a child of the living God when we disowned him and fought against him? Well, it's by faith in Christ Jesus. How can Jesus help us? Well, Jesus can bring us by faith into God's family again so that God is our father rather than our enemy. Ask, well, what about the sin and the punishment that we deserve? You just read from 2 Thessalonians that those who've sinned against God will be punished. What happens with that? Well, that's where Jesus is the answer. Jesus took on flesh and became a human. He became part of the brotherhood of mankind. Why? So then he could die the bitter death that we deserve as a fellow human being, a descendant of Adam through Mary. He is descended from Adam. And so he shares in the brotherhood of man. And then he takes the bitter death that we deserve who believe for picking a fight with God. The bitter death that we deserve for picking a fight with God is put upon Jesus. And did he do that? Yes, he did. God's wrath pursued Jesus, turning neither to the right nor to the left. 
He pursued him with his wrath at the cross and the sword that we who believe deserve devoured Christ Jesus at the cross. Jesus drank the bitter cup at the cross that we deserve for our sin. And that's what Hebrews 2 teaches us. We had that read for us before, but in Hebrews chapter 2 it says, For this reason he, that is Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every way. He took on flesh and became one of us. In order that, why did he do it? Why did Jesus come to earth? In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's why he did it. He came to make atonement, to to offer a sacrifice on our behalf, take the bitterness and death that we deserve. And so what does that then mean? Well, believers in Christ Jesus are adopted into God's family by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're adopted into his family. And so if we turn and call to God like Abner did to Joab and appeal to God as father and Christ as brother, what happens? God blows the trumpet like Joab did so many years ago and calls off the heavenly army, the pursuit in vengeance, and instead embraces us, embraces us as his children with the fatherly love of a father. So what about you this morning? Do you admit that you've picked a fight with God, that you've picked a fight with God by your sin? Won't you see that God is pursuing you and he will not stop in his pursuit of you? He will turn neither to the left nor to the right. He will pursue you and you will die and suffer bitterly for your fight against God. I encourage you, trust in Christ. Trust in Christ and then call on God as Father and ask him to stop his pursuit because of Christ's work, because of Christ's suffering for you. God will not stop his pursuit unless you turn and call out to him as Abner called out to Joab. But if you do turn and call, he will sound the trumpet and he will call off this pursuit and love you with a fatherly love. And then what would you do? Well, like all believers, you should live in peace with God as Father. By the power of the Spirit, loving God, not picking a fight with God by breaking his laws, but loving God as Father with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Because he is family. So of course we love him instead of fighting with him. And then also what should we do? If God is our father, we should do what he commands, which includes loving our fellow man, loving our neighbour as ourselves. We should love our fellow man, which means we should live at peace with everyone around us. How? By remembering that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and, brother, and brothers and sisters in Adam, that everybody around us is connected to us as family. And that's how we, we operate. And we start with our immediate family, our own immediate family, wives, husbands, children, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. We don't fight with them. We don't have civil war within our home, which is what it is. If you fight with your spouse, what are you doing? You're engaging in civil war. You're meant to be a family unit helping one another, not hurting each other. And so when you hurt one another, you're engaging in civil war. And what happens then? Your heavenly father will not be pleased with you. And what then happens? Bitterness and possibly death. You don't know what things might escalate. People who have not meant to harm someone with death have done it as things have continued to escalate, even within a family. And it's not right. The heavenly father will not be pleased. 
And then as we look at our immediate families, we extend out, if we're meant to love our neighbours as ourselves, to our community, to neighbours, to workers that we work with, fellow workers, to even sale assistants. I try to remember this when I engage with a sale assistant in the shop or when you ring someone up. Try and remember that this is a, a brother or a sister of the human race. They're not a robot that you can rebuke and tell what you want it to do. Part of the problem, I think, of having some of these automated things in your home where you can talk to them, Alexa and Google and things like that, you lose your manners because it's a robot. And then you start to treat people like robots. No, I had to call up a bank yesterday and I, I'd been working on this sermon. And so I made a real effort to treat the person as a fellow human being, to be polite, to thank them very much and to try and express my concern about the problem that was going on. And because I'd been hung up three times by a robot trying to tell me how to do it on the internet. And I couldn't get through. And so when I got through the person, I said, oh, I'm so thankful to talk to a real person. Treating that person as a sister, which she ultimately is. I don't know her other than a name that she gave at the beginning of the call, but she is a sister as a fellow human being. Assuming I'm not talking to Otto and Fischl and Terrell. No, she didn't. She really seemed like a real person on the other side of their line. But that's what we should be doing. We should be extending out. And that includes all other races. We should be loving them as neighbours, as brothers and sisters in Adam. And, of course, the ultimate love should be shown to those who are in the church. We love our immediate family. We love the wider community as it extends over all the earth. But, of course, we as the family of God must love the family of God as fellow Christians. Fighting with the family of God is the worst. Why? because they are our brothers and sisters twice over. They're our brothers and sisters in Adam and Eve, but they're also our brothers and sisters in the blood of Christ. In the blood of Adam, they're connected to us. In the blood of Christ, they're connected to us. So if we fight with other Christians, what are we doing? We're conducting civil war in an even greater extent because we have even more reason to love fellow Christians. And we have to be very concerned if we're fighting with other Christians. Why? Because the family father will not be pleased. And what happens? Bitterness and possibly even death. You don't know what might happen. Maybe the death of your own soul as you're revealed to not be a true Christian after all. Fighting always hurts. Someone suffers. And we can see that in the way that we look around and see the fights that we've caused and the way that bitterness is there. But even if not... Even if there's not much bitterness in a fight that we've picked, as Christians, we understand that someone has to suffer for every sin. And if it's not us, it's Christ. That Christ has to suffer for the sins that we commit today if we do not experience the suffering that, deserve, that they deserve. And so we have to be very careful as Christians not to engage in civil war, with fellow human beings, and particularly with the family of God. Whereas if we don't fight with those around us, with our family, our community, and the church, what happens? Well, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a joyful peace in our lives. We have a joyful peace instead of bitterness with God and bitterness with mankind and bitterness with other Christians and bitterness with other races. Instead, we can enjoy peace with them. And why is that so wonderful? Well, there's many reasons why it's so joyful to be at peace with others. But one of the reasons, as I was reflecting upon this, I thought of the fact that as we draw near to others, we can see the differences in those people 
and enjoy them. Just as I was saying before, as we embrace other races, we enjoy the benefits of IKEA and Nintendo and Massimo and Beef and dumplings. If we are hostile to those nations, then we don't get those benefits. But if we are at peace with those around us, we can enjoy the differences of those people as we draw close to them. And so if we no longer fight with God, what does that mean? We can draw close to God. And if we can draw close to God, then we can see more of him and his differences from us, his goodness and his loveliness, very starkly contrasted with ourselves. As we draw near to him, we can see those things. And as we draw near to earthly families, we can see those differences and enjoy them. And, of course, our spiritual family. If you're fighting with people at church, it's very hard to draw close to them and see the ways that they're different from you and rejoice in those differences. It would be terrible if we were all the same. If my wife was exactly the same as me, it would be very boring in my home. And if in the church all the elders were exactly the same, it would be very boring. And if the whole church was full of Joels, God help us, it would be a very, very boring place to be. But as we come together in the blood of Christ and connected with one another at peace with each other, we get to see so much more of the differences between us. And enjoy those differences. You enjoy the differences between the eldership. You enjoy the difference between other members. That God has made us different, but all one in Christ Jesus. So let us look at 2 Samuel 2, see the ugliness of civil war, and see the beauty of peace with mankind, with fellow Christians, and ultimately peace with God as our Heavenly Father. Let us come to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God who ends all wars by your justice. But we come before you confessing that we have warred against you and we deserve your sword and eternal bitterness. But we thank you that Christ was pursued on behalf of us who believe and he was devoured instead at the cross so that now we are free from your wrath. Lord, we ask that you would help us by the power of the Spirit to live as your children in joyful peace, in peace with you, in peace with our fellow man and in peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can enjoy the differences between us but also the unity that we have with one another and with yourself. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is still at war with you and does not obey your laws, is still picking a fight with you every day, oh Lord, we pray that they would see the death and bitterness that is coming to them and cry out to you for forgiveness in Christ Jesus and know you as their father. And we pray this in his name. Amen.